so the two chapters that we're talking about today are chapters five and six. Chapter five entitled Changing, subtitle Creating an Invitational Culture, and then chapter six, which is Including the Superglue for Emerging Adults. I like that. Superglue. Superglue is great. And they're both, well, they're both really good chapters. I mean, this is a, a good book. I've enjoyed it as we've uh, read it in the past and as we're reworking through it for the purpose of this uh, podcast. Um, that there's some good stuff in it, but I think whether or not I agree with everything in these two chapters, there's some really good points of conversation that Severson brings up uh, when looking at ministry with emerging young adults and how churches can engage with them in their community. And I appreciate the focus on young adults that are outside of church culture, church bubble, that kind of stuff. But why don't we start with chapter five, uh, creating an invitational culture. What stood out to you guys from this chapter and the content that Severson shares in it? Yeah, for me, um, I had some flashbacks, you know, being an older dude, you know, in ministry for quite a while. I had some like seeker sensitive, you know, flashbacks. Um, and she just kind of, she mentions this is not necessarily that. It's not just trying to be seeker sensitive, um, but to really figure out if your if your church is young adult and un, especially unchurched young adult friendly um i really thought this could be interesting since i'm no longer part of like church staff meetings anymore jeremy you're you're probably the one amongst the three of us that still you know has that kind of voice at a table weekly so to speak um i just thought it, it would be interesting to have a church staff really think through some of these questions like how are we you know, how, how much do we violate like this, this idea of Christian speak, you know, if, if you, if you were to go back and, and re-listen to a Sunday worship gathering kind of thing, how many times did we use language, you know, that maybe was confusing for someone unchurched or whatever. Um, so I do think she makes um, a lot of great points here. Uh, one of the things I highlighted was that the on page 64, this process called co-communicating focuses yeah. on cultivating an inclusive church culture that presents faith as comprehensible and welcoming. Um, and I think it's that, that co-communicating, um, basically there's a way to, to do this in, you know, I, I hear some people complain sometimes, well, if we, if we water everything down or if we make it so, um, understandable you know that someone who doesn't have any familiar you know people can critique the idea that we have to you know water things down which is the wrong interpretation of what we're trying to do here i don't think we're trying to water down we're trying to use language that's more it is more welcoming it is more um understandable for the average unchurched person but i like that idea of trying figuring out how to co-communicate yeah and i think that's as you said, like it's a um, finding the balance between the two is important because you don't just want to confuse people unnecessarily. Uh, but how do you be strategic in that co-communicating? Or there's a there's a term that she pulls from in the book that she calls um, two degree vectoring, mm -hmm. which is where if if on a compass, um, true north is those that are in your church congregation that. Uh, also taking some energy to moving just two degrees off of true north and having some of the communication 
and uh, interpretation during the services, uh, be intentional for those who are not super church, which I think is, is really, really important to connect with those who people from varying degrees and backgrounds of, of church culture. I think it gets to at the center of it though, is the question of who is the church gathering for you think about, uh, is it, is it to be evangelistic? And, and if so, uh, that you're inviting people to come and hear the good news of, of Jesus uh, from the stage that you want, yeah, you want to make sure that stuff is clear and is not weighed down by a bunch of uh, insider language. Um, but then I think about like uh, the underground in Tampa Bay, which is a university spinoff um, their, their micro church network where they're at, at least to my understanding of their Sunday gathering is it's not insider, but it's, it's specifically tailored to invest in the lives of the leaders of the micro churches. And so it's not specifically insider as much as it is like equipping. Um, and uh, hearing about them kind of reminds me of like what you hear about from the early church. You can read about it in the patient ferment of the early church, where it was like, there was a certain part of the church gathering that was only for uh, the baptized and those who had um, spent several years be developing the habits and practices of Christianity and then were invited into the fullness of uh, the, the Christian gathering. You could come to like the beginning of it, but then had to leave kind of thing, not advocating going back to that wholeheartedly, but um, those kind of things revolving around the question, like who's the gathering for? Is it, is it for, uh, the people who are already Christians or those who are outside the church. And if it's for those who are already Christians, is it just to like be a good inspirational message about personal piety or is it about, Hey, how do we bring together um, uh, personal holiness and uh, social engagement as well? Um, I think there was a guy named Wesley that talked about that some, but um, how do we, how do you balance those things uh, and I think the balance is probably local church specific in some way in terms of uh, where, it, where it comes out based off of what the intent is of the gathering at that specific local church. Yeah, there were a couple of things that uh, I really started leaning into with this chapter. And, and one, you know, assuming is usually a bad thing. Um, <clears throat> all kinds of different sayings about assuming and what it makes out of me and you um now i think i think that um if i make the assumption that god's already work in present that's a safe assumption to make like that's a good place to live it brings good things for, for from me and for me and for others and um i think assuming that young adults are already present and the in, in the chapter, she talks about that there's unchurched young adults that are already present. I just want there to be young adults present. Like I, I read a chapter like this when I apply it to my scenario and just go, okay, we're just working on young adults being present. And a lot of different churches, local churches that I talk to, they're just trying to figure out like how to be and do with young adults and, and are there young adults around? Not are they churched or unchurched, right? So I apply it to my situation and go, okay, I want to assume that there's God's already at work and that um, young adults are already present. And if they are, then what am I doing about that? Guys, I came to a realization this week in local young adult ministry. I am not a volunteer um, young adult ministry director. I'm a volunteer 
a young adult. I'm a, I'm a local young adult um, network director. Because people keep asking me what type of ministry we have for young adults at our church. We don't really have one. What we do have is a network. And so we network younger young adults together. And we network older young adults together. And then I'm secretly working to network older adults to these younger and older young adults together. And so there's the ministry aspects are already happening and are places that people can kind of plug and play if they want to. But my role as a volunteer is not producing and creating ministry opportunities because they're already there. Mine is, is brokering relationship and, and connecting them to um, the ministry that's, that's present. So I'm not creating ministry opportunities. I'm creating relational um, possibilities. It's what I've, because I've, I've really felt, I, I really feel inadequate and, and unproductive um, as, as, a, as a ministry director um because i'm not producing anything i'm and i'm and i'm not a i'm not an activity director either i'm not hosting anything um what works for our context is networking people together and in the midst of that there are christians that are meeting uncrit or, or you know unchurched un that aren't following christ they aren't necessarily on anything they're just not in a relationship with Christ yet. I thought so, it was, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to cap it off with just saying, so what I, what I try to do is assume young adults are already there, assume young adults want to connect together, connect the ones that want to connect together, and then create the possibility of opportunities of connecting out in the community. Because I think that that's where the Christ following is going to intersect with those that may not be following Christ. And then the spirit is going to do the work and lead in the ways that are, that, that need to happen. Now, there needs to be coaching. There needs to, at the end of the chapter, they talk about the rewind and, you know, basically like coaching the callers, the people that call to relationship. I just, I tend to think that that's more often going to happen in the context of a relationship than it's going to happen because an unchurched person hears that and sitting in a church ministry service opportunity. I, I want to assume that the, that the former is going to be more frequent than the latter. There's probably going to be more opportunities for a nurse that's working out in the community to share her faith in a conversation the way that she lives out in the community than there is if she invites that friend to church and maybe hears it like one time or twice. And then they, you know, there's a miraculous conversion and everything that happens. I just think it's less frequent than if we're coaching and calling people to live out their faith so that they're sharing. So that two degree factor, what was that? I really like that phrase. I was going to share that. I was like, Jeremy stole, I was going to do the, you said mine, small group vector. thing. Yeah. The two degree vectoring for me is assuming that they're there, identifying them, connecting them with other young adults and adults in the church, and then creating, creating um, connection in the community. What were you going to say, Chris? Um, so in the workshop I was leading this past Saturday, it was interesting to have a pastor, a young pastor, talk about hey we've got some young adults who are part of our church they're actually coming and we're not sure why um and then because in his mind they don't have a young adult ministry like a program um but then in later in sharing a story he said well yeah we played disc golf together um 
And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's brilliant. Okay, you're hanging out with young adults, you're approachable, you're available to young adults. That's why young adults are, are coming to your church, I think. Um, and so just because you don't have a young adult program, um, you know, air quotes, then anyway, one of my big, the things, you know, we've talked about this a lot, my big emphasis for that workshop, because I only had a short amount of time was, hey, be sure you're doing uh, ministry with young adults, and not two or just four young adults. And that just continues to come up almost every time I talk about young adult ministry now, I think is, is that. And so I think, you know, for me, that hammered home this idea of the, the relational piece of building uh, relationships, being available. And then I think that that two degree thing, honestly, that's a little confusing to me because I'm not sure what that I'm not sure what that means or how you dial, you know, what does two degree vectoring mean in terms whatever of whatever like, I want it to mean. That's what I just did. If, if true north is this service, the worship, the liturgy, everything we do, if it's if it's calibrated perfectly true north for the Christian, then yeah, let's dial, let's crank that over a notch. I love the story she tells about the pastor who talks about what the Bible is. Um, because I think a lot of young adults, if you just ask them what the Bible is, they would say, well, I think it's a rule book for Christians saying what they can and can't do, or this, you know, they might have that kind of perception of what the Bible is. And to be able to say, actually, the Bible is this collection of of stories of God's people over, you know, two, 3,000 years, well, 2,000 years, whatever it is, you know, basically telling the story, what the Bible is, um, you know, just reframing that a little bit so that somebody's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, if there was a, a book that was a collection of people's spiritual journeys and their attempts to connect with God and whatever, that's actually a book I'd be interested in reading and learning. So I think it's, to me, that's the two degree vectoring. That's like, saying, okay, let's turn in God's word to, you know, this and this, instead of saying, you know, we've got this, this collection of writings God's given us, you know, is that two degree vectoring? Am I? Well, if I was going to assign a true North, it would have to be Jesus. And then if I was going to two degree vectoring with relationship, then it's going to have to be others. So love God with all you are and your neighbors yourself. Right. So to me, the, the church and ministry and, um, leaders in a church that's not true north we can get so off there it's a part of it but pointing to jesus is not exclusive to a, a church setting it's just not maybe that's why i i didn't care for the two degree vectoring phrase because or the i and maybe if you read the other person's book and spelled it out whatever but it to me it, like even our interpretations of what that two degree vectoring is talking about is so subjective that i i think it it was hard to you know like how to apply that or what what's that actually yeah. saying but yeah with your interpretation i mean i totally agree with what you well i, I reinterpret it that's what i do i i i i, I don't innovate i renovate i mean here's somebody how, else gave me here's how i would wrap up this whole chapter is that it's if you've got a church that that you're you're reluctant to invite any of your friends to church because you you don't necessarily feel like it's really welcoming to unchurched people like that's a problem and so i guess if you're reluctant you know as not even just as a young adult as a person in a, in the church if you're reluctant to to invite unchurched friends because you're just not sure they would get it or whatever like then culturally there there's 
you know, something might need to change there. But again, that is based on seeing the Sunday morning gathering as the primary evangelistic front door, you know, and that's not always the case. Sometimes I think group life, as we get into the next chapter, actually, um, group life can be a front door for a lot of uh, young adults or just people. Jeremy, chapter five segue. I think one of the keys to young adult ministry as I've experienced it over the last couple of years is trying to remove as many obstacles and provide as many opportunities as possible for young adults to have a thriving relationship with others and with Jesus Christ. And so a part of that is how do we make sure that our gatherings together um, remove obstacles and provide opportunities. Not that we're but making in the everything. tough mutter, the obstacles were the best part. What are you talking about? <laughs> but they're oh, also sorry. an opportunity to bond exactly. together yeah. and create yeah, community. Part of it, yeah, you think you think about it. Actually, th- that's actually a really, really good point. Honestly, if if you think about like sometimes you know like um, the there was the I think it was called the Berlin Wall. It was like ten feet. You needed like by myself, I was not going to get over it. It was an obstacle. Together. It was an opportunity for us to work together. And there's a Challenge. lot of things within the, within the culture of church that is, if we're journeying with people in it, it can be opportunities. If we just say, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, our, you know, our Sunday school classes uh, are this, this, and this, and like not providing any ways for people to get connected to small group life, all those things, then it's obstacles. Um, but in trying to, like in chapter five, talking about how do we make sure that our gatherings are invitational in what we say and how we explain. Then the other part of it is providing opportunities. I think one of the biggest points from chapter six, entitled "Including the Superglue," uh, subtitled "The Superglue for Emerging Adults," is the idea of that for these bright spot churches that um, uh, that she's pointing out in the book. They're ones that quickly have newcomers. Uh, connected into community and that are like volunteering or getting engaged in some way. And for me, this hits home uh, really big because I was having a conversation with our volunteer director for hospitality just this um, uh, yesterday, this past Sunday, about how with the coming of the school year, what are different ways not to just make use of extra hands, but how can we uh, meaningfully connect young adults and college students into what's going on in our church as a sticking place, a place to build community, to get to know others and to invite them to turn around in a low risk way to be able to contribute to what's going on in the church. And in doing so, yeah, uh, bringing about community, which Beth points out that community is a powerful agent for social transformation. And so how do we get young adults, uh, how do we create opportunities for young adults to get engaged as quickly as possible to build that community and to be a part of the mutually transforming nature of friendship and Christian fellowship? There's two parts of this chapter uh, that are my takeaways. One is the mentoring communities. I'm just looking how to contextualize that for my local ministry environment. I don't think, I think there's so many different modes to mentoring. And sometimes if you call it mentoring, you ruin it. You just, just do it. You just set it up. You just broker the friendships and relationships. Um, and 
Uh, sneaky. I know he was so sneaky. He's he like did an army crawl. And like he's, <laughs> he's doing his his workout, his college cross country workout prep. Um, mentoring. So the mentoring communities piece, like what does mentoring look like in your studying? I I having um, grandparent age adults that host a meal for young adults. I'm not going to call that mentoring, but that's what I'm angling at. I think as soon as I assign, somebody comes and says, I'm really looking for a mentor. Like, let's have that conversation of how to set that up for success. But I don't get that very often. And so if I try to create a mentoring program, it can really just end up being a lot of work trying to fabricate authentic relationship when what you really needed to do is just get people in proximity to each other and let the spirit kind of lead the conversation, let people be people. Um, and then the other one in here um, that I was realizing, you know, in the last chapter, I talked about how I don't think, uh, last chapter conversation, I don't think that I'm a ministry director. I think I'm a network broker, a network coordinator. And that being the super glue, it's it, because of chapters like this and conversations about relationships, I started thinking about what, what would be the point of me having a small group? Um, for my context or a Bible study or like starting something like that. We already have those things. People aren't asking for that, but why would the, the impulse default for me be, I want to start that? Well, because I want young adults to be in community together and I want them to do things outside of church together. So why would I create a church activity because I want them to live, do life together outside of the church context? Maybe, and maybe that's the way to start it. Maybe that makes sense for your context or someone else's. But for mine, I just skip the middle, man. I just skip the program in the middle. And I go, well, let's just connect with people relationally out doing disc golf. That's one of the things I do too. Or volleyball, Jeremy. In our last Yamcast, you guys made a connection relationally between somebody that Chris knows and I think is related to and a place of volleyball that you drive by all the time in Nashville. Yeah. So I, I wonder sometimes if we're like defaulting to creating programmatic ministry scenarios because what we're looking for is a relationship, but what we really need to do is just like connect with people in relationship out and about in the community. And the, I think that they will naturally gravitate toward, well, not naturally, they will feel welcome towards the Christ-centered worship community that I so dearly need. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of being church together formally. I need that. I want that. I desire it. I, I so enjoyed it yesterday morning. Um, but I really just need to be following Jesus with other people the rest of the week. So I don't want to create programs that somehow diffuse that. I, I just want to get to that. So to me, that's the super glue is if, if we can find whatever is going to connect in relationship and if it's a Bible study, great. But if it's, if it's out, um, you know, serving or tough mutter or coffee, like let's, let's go do that. You know, maybe it's visiting somebody at work. There's a young adult keeps bothering me because I haven't shown up to his work yet. I keep telling him I'm going to. He's like, when are you going to show up at work? I'm like, I'm, I'm working on it, dude. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an important part of any type of ministry, right? Of contextually reading uh, what's going on in your local church and in your local community of what's actually needed uh, in terms of discipleship or service or uh, worship gatherings kind of thing, because depending on what's already going on, there's different needs and different holes that we can fit into. But I think that that pivot in terminology that you have been referencing, Kenny, of going from like event, like thinking in terms of like events coordinator or like volunteer 
ministry leader to being that connector and networker, even just the change in terminology, like that sets a different bar of expectation, not necessarily higher or lower, uh, but like, yeah, if it's just, okay, how many are coming to a Sunday school class? Um, because that's our ministry outreach. Like that's a different level of expectation than saying, how can we deepen their, the network to where they're involved in stuff in our city and some of that being in our church and like overlap, like that's messier and harder to define. But like, if that's what the goal is, that's a, that's a slightly different goal than just numbers at a Sunday school class, discipleship gathering thing. I think, you know, creating compelling Christian community. Um, I mean, that is, you know, I think there's a big difference between a group that gathers on Sunday mornings because they're, yeah, this is designed for young adults. It's like a Sunday school class, a group or something like that. There's a difference between that and uh, what I would call compelling Christianity and kind of what she's getting at in this chapter. Um, the kind of community that you want to be a part of because it meets some social needs. It's positive. It's encouraging. It's but it also meets spiritual needs. It's nudging you to grow closer to Christ. Um, and then also it integrates you with the, the whole life of the church um, in a way that's not just creating, you know, a, a siloed, isolated age group kind of experience. Um, to me, those were all sort of critical pieces of this compelling Christian community idea. I mean, the trick is, is like, how do you do that? how do you how do you create compelling christian community you know that young adults can be part of and that it helps them really become integrated into the life of the church in the long in the long run um and i do think that the eating together the shared you know affinity group kind of disc golf kinds of things uh the mentoring i mean i i was just visiting anderson indiana a couple of sundays ago actually the Tough Mudder Sunday, that Sunday I went to that church. And uh, I was just reminded at how this grandpa kind of guy, it was the pianist dad. And now his granddaughter is the worship leader at Anderson First, um, Amber. And um, it, I was just reminded at how that one year of college, I had this adopted grandpa. He taught me how to fly fish. Um, I don't remember a lot of spiritual conversations with him as we were fishing, but just I mean, the connection I had with him, the connection I had with other people throughout the church, I mean, I just, I was integrated. Of course, I was coming out of a very church, you know, kind of background, whatever, but it, it just reminded me how there's like, it's like the sticky faith stuff. There's multiple relational connections that someone needs to have. To me, compelling Christian community ought to be something that it, it would make it very difficult for someone to walk away, you know, to leave it. That's what we're trying to do is create enough community, enough of that social capital that someone really feels like they would lose a lot if they walked away from it, if they stopped coming, if they stopped being involved. That's kind of what we're trying to create, but it is tricky. I think the practical, like, okay, how do you, how do you create that? Um, I mean, Jeremy, the things you, I know you got to go, the things you're doing with, you know, board game nights and connecting and just opportunities to engage and have fun together shared meal kind of things and all that i mean i think that is kind of the recipe uh for it and i love kenny's ideas of of not so much trying to build a program but 
just continue to to put pieces together, connect dots relationally, um, you know, I think is, a, is another key part of what we're trying to do. And that picture is going to look different. Those dots are going to, when they connect it together, they're going to look different in different seasons, different relationships. Yeah. And, and in collaboration trumps consumerism. So I'm trying to create things that people are going to want to be a part of and attracted to, and they're compelling and, you know, just that they, oh, I, I can't miss that. And it's just about like FOMO. Oh, we should have been here. Why weren't you here? We did something really fun. Just ask young adults, like, what do you think about this? And honestly, you know, give critical feedback. What would you like to do? What, what don't you want to do? How, how do we collaborate with them instead of just trying to do stuff? for them. And we all live in different tensions of responsibilities and things that we maybe need to produce. But I think the super glue is always relationships. So what's, what are the obstacles that stand in the way of relationship? And if I'm leading a program that everybody thinks is great, but it's actually standing in the way of authentic relationship, let's tweak that. Mm -hmm. And let's ask young adults how to do that so that there's ownership in this season with them. Yeah, that's good. I don't want to stop talking to you guys, but it's probably time to outro. Jeremy, is that true? It is, unfortunately. Well, we're going to go tackle our own obstacles today, but we're doing it together in spirit. And we're not done yet. We are not Ooh. done. Not even close. Not even close. So, until next time. Hey, fail forward. Be present. And be oh so teachable. Peace. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Talk to you later. 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 Boom.